0: Did Ochai Abaji earn the starting spot for the Utah Jazz in 2023-24? And if so, what do you do with Jordan Clarkson next on Locked on Jazz? You are Locked on Jazz, your daily podcast on the Utah Jazz. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. How are you? I'm David Locke, Radio Voice of the Utah Jazz, Jazz NBA Insider, and this is Locked on Jazz. Today, did Ochai Abaji's closing 30 games earn himself the starting spot for the Utah Jazz? And if so, what do you do about Jordan Clarkson, Colin Sexton? How do you work your guard position for your off-guard position for the 23-24 season? We will look at that. Lowry marketing, most improved player. We'll review that a little bit as well. Going through the draft numbers again, we'll talk about who are the playmakers. This might be the most important singular thing out there for the Utah Jazz. What player out there is actually a true playmaker and can be maybe a point guard for the Utah Jazz moving forward or at least have the ability to run the pick and roll and be a major part of it. We'll touch on that. Plus, late game watch on one of the great nights of NBA basketball will lottery as well. As I mentioned, I'm David Locke, Radio Voice of Utah Jazz, Jazz NBA Insider. This is your daily podcast on the Utah Jazz called Locked on Jazz. We do it every day for you, Monday through Friday. We give you geeky numbers, insight, all sorts of fun stuff. Hopefully make it better to be a Jazz fan each and every day. Thanks so much for tuning in and making Locked on Jazz your first listen. And a big shout out to our everydayers who are with us each and every day uh, on this program as we bring it to you Monday through Friday. Thanks so very much. Free and available on all podcasting apps, as well as on YouTube. Hit the subscribe button. Hit the bell button to be notified when we're up. We're up a little later today on YouTube because old school. My wife and I still have like a, we actually have a digital clock, not Alexa or something around us. And the power went out last night. So it took our daughter waking us up an hour later than regular. So I'm off schedule um, for you a little bit. All right, congratulations to Lowry Marketing. It was really, a, it's an incredible, you know, he, story. Obviously, we've talked about it a tremendous amount, but when you look at it, it's its kind of like broken dreams, then coming together, and then empowerment. Um, the broken dreams are the Bulls look like they're going to build around him. They give him all this opportunity. They make him go through the process, and then he, um, then they don't, actually ever allow him to and it becomes disastrous and he wants out. He goes to Cleveland, kind of finds a new limited role as a player and then goes to Finland where he has this incredible season and Will Hardy empowers him. Um, and I asked Lowry yesterday about a moment that Will has shared where early in the year, they're in a film session and Will kind of says to the group, like you guys all know Lowry's our best player, right? Like everyone's got here that Lowry's our best player. And, I don't think Lowry had ever had a team or a coach other than maybe in Finland ever say that to him and give him that kind of confidence and drive him um, in that level. So uh, I thought it was a, you know, I think that's a poignant moment on the journey. I think the other one that's so important about Lowry when you look about the year to me is as it became clear he was the best player on the team and as he became the front page of scouting reports for the first time in his entire career, he got better. Um, you know, his points per month are 22 in November, 27 in December, 29 in January, 28 in February, 29 in March. To me, that I actually think is the most telling thing about his season is, and then he, I do think he gets tired, right? His three-point shooting is 44, 48, 44, then 32 and 32%. 32 In February and March. I think that's a little bit defense is getting on him, but I also think he got tired. Like, this was a burden he's never had. He had played through the whole thing. His usage rate actually increased as the year went on from 23% in November to 25% in December to 28% in January to 29% in February to 32% in March. Um, And so he just kept, and then his teammates got less, right? Like, he lost Mike Conley, he lost Malik Beasley, he lost Jared Vanderbilt, he lost Nikhil Alexander-Walker, and then Jordan Clarkson stopped playing. So, you know, in some sense, he actually then lost teammates um, along the way. So, um, you know, I think when you you look at his season, it's not only the most improved in contrast to what he did a year ago, but to me, it's, it's contrast to as the season progressed, I thought we saw him improve with the burden of what he had. Um, it'll be interesting to see, you know, Next year he will, you know, he's front and center teams. Um, he'll have he'll have that lightning, you know, that that bullseye on him, and he seemed to deal with it really, really well. But it'll be interesting to see if that changes. And then the way the Jazz used him, they used him on the move all the time. We talked about this right after the season, every day, or so you might remember. But his isolation numbers in the second half of the season are not good. They're not good. They're down to point eight points per isolation where he's standing still trying to make moves, and he's still got that development um, to go so he can go win a second most improved award. That'd be cool, wouldn't it? That'd mean he's like one of the five best players in the NBA at that point. Um, pretty great. So congratulations to Lowry Markin. It was cool to see him. Um, he had a great kind of attitude about the Finnish military experience he's having right now um, being with the guys. So super, it was great. Um, this is a jam-packed show. Hopefully we'll get it all in. I'm, I'm trying to. A um, little bit of what I had scheduled and then that. So what I, I did want to talk about today and, and get your thoughts and have chat room and comment on it is, you know, how do you look at Ochai after his first year? He plays 59 games. He starts the final 22. He really shows some signs. He's probably overwhelmed by the burden asked upon him in those final 22. Um, he starts actually game 63 to game 82. So he starts the final 20. He shoots 39% as a starter, 33% from three. Those numbers are not great. He does average 14 points a game, but he's also asked, you know, in to be the go-to guy and to get up shots and to be super aggressive and misses are fine. No one cared about the shooting percentage. His, you know, he showed a versatility of his game at 6'5", 215 pounds of being able to play as a spot-up shooter, off the bounce, little pick and roll, um, the, was pretty wide ranging and there's a lot about that stretch that says to you okay well that's in all likelihood our starting shooting guard for the future. Um he's not you know he's not a 3 and I know that we've gone positionless but if you watch the playoffs you know the Warriors are don't love having Jordan Poole, Clay Thompson and Steph Curry always on the floor together. Like they went there they've gone there now, but they don't you can tell like you get small fast in this league and you watch the the Celtics, and and they could go have Malcolm Brogdon, Derek White, uh, Marcus Smart on the floor together. Very, and they don't do it very often because they have Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. So a little bit of what you're seeing in those circumstances is you're seeing these, you, you, you know, you. So Ojai could slide certainly to the three at times, but he's probably a two. Like he's there is some position element here of things and. So there's a few questions here that I think are really pertinent. One is, did Ochai show enough that you think he should be, that we should be planning on, if all goes well, that he's the starting shooting guard for the next five to eight years for the Utah Jazz? And and I think the answer to that might be yes. He was really showed a lot of different things. Now, you got to be careful. We've talked about this late season stuff. But just when you look at his body of work, where his age is, there's not a lot more time. Um, he is older. Um He's 23 already, just had his birthday, uh, I think, earlier this week. So happy birthday to Ochai. Um, he's a great kid. He, I thought he developed in the season. So, so every indicator to me is yes. So then that gets to a really interesting question of what do you do with Jordan Clarkson. Because Jordan Clarkson's won a free agent. The Jazz, according to reports, have offered him an extension that he didn't take, um, which is fine. I mean, that's the reasonable thing for his agency to do. He started 61 games last year. Is Jordan want to come back and suddenly play off the bench again? Would Jordan be all right playing off the bench behind OJ? I'm not sure on that, actually. Jordan's a great dude. Love him. Um, But I'm not sure that Jordan, like Jordan played off the bench behind Donovan. That felt to him probably Okay. Is and played 27 minutes a night. Does Jordan feel as though at this point after starting 61 games and playing 33 minutes that that's actually what he wants to be in the last stage of his career is that starter or does he want to go back to being the flamethrower off the bench? That's a huge decision for Jordan. It's also one for the organization of where how he fits and what he does with that. The third part of that that gets really tricky is then how does Colin Sexton fit? Because Colin Sexton showed last year that he has a superpower and he was really good for the Utah Jazz, and much, I mean, probably the player that tilted my version from watching him in at the beginning of the year to how he finished the year. My vision of who he is and how he fits on a, on a good team are, are completely different right now than they were when, the year, when I first saw him. When I first saw him, and this is what Will Hardy complains about people doing, I saw a guy who can't play point guard, couldn't read the f- floor, didn't involve teammates, had the lowest assist field goal rate for two years in Cleveland. You could see why. And then by the end of the year, I saw a guy with an incredible first step, an amazing burst, a super attack of the rack, a game-changing skill set, and the ability, and really an incredible ability to score, get on top of the rim, playing off of people. Probably not with the ball in his hands as his greatest strength. That if you could play him off the ball and have him attack, he shot 55% in January and 55% in February. He's not going to shoot a lot of threes. That release is slow. He's not, He if he's spot up and he's wide open, he'll take it. But when he came back and played from, I think he came back about January 13th and then and kind of got back and played every other game there for a while uh, before he, from that hamstring, before the next hamstring, that 15-game stretch, he shoots 55% from the field, scores 15 points a game, He's playing 24 minutes a night. Like, he actually plays that six-man role beautifully. And so how do you work Ochai? How do you work Jordan? How do you work Colin Sexton? All into one thing together. And so the first question you have to answer is, did Ochai earn um, the, fa- the the right to be a starter? It, was that enough? Even though the shooting numbers were down, did you see enough pieces? And then two is, how does that impact Jordan. And is there a role for Jordan on this team that doesn't preclude Ochai from getting those minutes that Jordan's okay with? And then is there a role for Colin if Jordan's here? I'm not sure that you can have a bench unit of Jordan Clarkson and Colin Sexton as your two guards who are so similarly created in kind of how they attack the game. It's interesting, really interesting. All right, draft numbers, we'll look at that and see what we can do. Um, to find out who some playmaking guards might be um, that we want to go grab in this upcoming draft uh for you. Today's show is brought to you by our friends over at Murdoch Hyundai, located in Linden, Logan, and 4646 South State Street. It is Murdoch Hyundai. The lineup of Hyundai cars just amazing and fabulous for you on in every uh, regard, the SUV lineup starts with the Palisade, which is just terrific. That's their biggest. The smallest is the Kona. In between is the Santa Cruz and the Tucson. The Iotic won the North the Car SUV of the Year. That's their electric vehicle. We have that. It's been terrific. Um, and we also have two Santa Fe. So I'm speaking from experience. Every, our pur- Three Hyundai purchases, three wins for us. Why? Because we feel like we got the most bells, most whistles, most safety features, most everything you can get for the least amount of money, and you got a high-quality car. Plus, you have the Murdochs with over 80 years of experience in Utah. If you're going to stop by Murdoch Hyundai, please hit me up at DLock09 at gmail.com so we can give you the VIP experience. That's DLock09 at gmail.com to give you that VIP experience you deserve from being an everydayer with Locked On. Today's show is also brought to you by our friends over at Game Time. Game Time. The answer for you for all of your ticket needs game time is the with the game time app with you now use the code locked on nba and you get 20 dollars off here's what you need to do with game time this is pretty download the app and then there's no need anymore for you to like worry about deals because this is what game time is made for flash deals late minute tickets Easy to find and buy tickets to every kind of game and event. I love the image of the seat views. Lowest price guaranteed. Events cancellation protection. And then the other one that's great about game time is game time guarantees you will always get the best price. So you're you're looking for tickets late for something, you don't have to go shop around. If you find tickets in the same section a row for less, GameTime will credit you 110% of the difference. It's the fastest growing ticket app in the country for a reason. Get images of your seat before you buy so you know exactly where you're going to arrive. Buy tickets in a matter of seconds. Two taps, you're set. Tickets are sent directly to your phone, so you're never digging through email. Download the GameTime app. Create an account. Use the code LOCKEDONNBA for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account. Redeem code LOCKEDONNBA for $20 off. Thanks so much for making Locked On Jazz your first listen of the day. So appreciative of it. And tip of the hat to the everydayers who are out there tuning in tomorrow. We'll look at who compliments Lowry and who the shooters in the draft are um, for everyone. So, uh, all right, let's get to the draft numbers. We've been doing this all week. Leaf2Lean will join us later in the week. What we're going to look at here is pick and roll playmakers. Again, we're going to follow the same thing we did all this week where I show you who were the Pick and roll playmakers of the past. And do you buy this as a way to judge? This one you might have a little bit of a mixed bag on. So Zion was in the 99th percentile, but on just 22 pick and rolls. Darius Garland was in the 92nd percentile, just on 41 pick and rolls. DeAndre Hunter was in the 97th, but on just 22. So then we had to find guys that were in a better position. Romeo Lankford, Danny Ames draft pick. 90th percentile 144 Tyler Hero 98th percentile but just 25 pick and rolls so super interesting is in that 2020 uh 19 draft you had a bunch of guys that ran a lot of pick and rolls but they didn't peak out on the numbers Jordan Poole is actually one of the best with over 100 at 79 percent in the 2020 draft playmaking um in 66 attempts, Sadiq Bay was in the 88th percentile. In 97 attempts, a pick and roll, Tyrese Maxey was in the 86th percentile. Terrell Terry was in the 77th. He ended up having emotional problems and leaving the league, mental illness. Malachi Flynn was an older point guard at 22 years old out of San Diego State, was in the 96th percentile, 215 pick and rolls. Okay, this is a little. This is a little less convincing, right? Um, that this is actually the greatest metric out there. Sometimes the lower number guys kind of are telling. So let's go to the twenty twenty one draft. Um, uh, the guys that uh, Cam Thomas was in the ninety fifth percentile on ninety two attempts. Uh, Moses Moody was in the 98th percentile on 31 attempts. And that's kind of it. There weren't a lot, of, all that were very low pick and rolls. And the guys who had Cade Cunningham at 170 was in the 62nd percentile. Jalen Suggs was in the 68th percentile. Scotty uh, Davion Mitchell was in the 65th percentile. So nobody peaking. 2022 draft. Jaden Ivey was in the 84th percentile in 173 pick and rolls. Malachi Branham was in the 95th percentile in 115 pick and rolls. Tari Eason was in the 88th percentile in 22. And then Jalen Williams out of Santa Clara was in the 87th percentile and 209 pick and rolls. Um, another one that hasn't panned out that's interesting is Ryan Rollins was in the 89th percentile and 179 pick and rolls. So a little bit of a mixed bag here. Like I'm not sure that you jump all over this one immensely so here are the guys that were the best pick and roll players in this draft if the jazz are looking for a point guard and maybe it's just who actually has run the most but um and i'll give you by percentage and then the number grady dick 96 percent on pick and roll but only 37 okay um and i think you have to have at least run a few trey alexander out of creighton sophomore is in the 83rd percentile with 146 pick and rolls. So that's a lot. Um, Colby Jones. Again, I've never seen these guys. Who is a s- interesting Xavier Jr. at 6'6", 205. He ran 123 pick and rolls. He's in the 88th percentile as well. Marcus Sassers, the senior out of Houston, who's small, is in the 89th percentile. Our buddy Isaiah Wong, 191 pick and rolls, Um, in the 81st percentile. So those are some of the guys now of the top picks in the draft where you run a bunch of pick and rolls. um, Kason Wallace, a point guard, 6'4", 193, out of Kentucky. He ran 133 pick and rolls in the 70th percentile. Uh, Scoot Henderson ran 221. He's in the 44th percentile. Brandon Miller is actually a red he's in the 28th percentile with 134 attempts and we'll look at um we'll look at whether or not that um is like a red flag because nick smith's in the 34th percentile as well on 59 attempts um there so none of these guys like there's not somebody that just comes out that's like boom there he is that's the answer. You have to go grab him. And then I also think there's some level where the numbers don't really show it in a way that makes you, this pick and roll might not be, this might be the weakness in the numbers where some other places it's been good. I've told you the system is not perfect in any way, shape, or form. Um, of players that ran a decent amount of pick and rolls and were in the bottom third, so 33 percentile or below, um, in the past drafts this again you're going to laugh Tyrese Halliburton who's turned out to be an all star all NBA level player 31% down 91 pick and rolls so in all honesty like I've shared with you that this might not be the greatest metric on all ends and this is the one place where I would say now Jameis Ramsey who was fairly highly thought of and hasn't panned out yet was in the 32nd percent on 89 Pick and roll, so maybe, you know, Tyrese Halliburton just, I don't know why, in college. Cole Anthony was in the 38th percentile and 136. Um, Keon Johnson was in the 21st percentile and 31. Josh Primo was on t- 16th percentile, but only on 27. Um, nobody else was really that. I mean, frankly, if you drop in the 33rd percentile, your pro- coach probably shouldn't continue to give you the ball. Um, Max Christie, 26 percentile on 49. So in this year's draft, those guys that are in that are Brandon Miller, um, who's below that Taylor Hendricks only on 14 pick and rolls, very, very low number. Uh, and then some big, so not a lot. Cause frankly, as I said, um, Bryce Sensbaugh who's very good on all other stats is at 38 percentile on 53 pick and rolls. Uh, so I'm not in uh, Amari Bailey who's another player who came out in a lot of good numbers in the 38th percent on 79 pick and rolls. Um, so it's an interesting mix. I don't know who the playmaker is that kind of opens your eyes of guys that you know in the top group that have had like 50 pick and rolls or more. The highest rated guy is Casein Wallace, um, but he also you know in our numbers did not do well in transition, did not look great in isolation. Um, is an average scorer, is a good average catch and shoot guy. Is pretty good off the bounce and creating. So we'll keep an eye on Casein Wallace. Uh, this. Six-foot-four point guard out of Kentucky. Freshman might be, you know, of of numbers of players we're looking at, nine might be the perfect point guard um, in that regard. We'll talk to Leaf about him later in the week um, and see. So just kind of an interesting look at the, at the point guard numbers. Not anything really definitive that I would chew in on uh, there. Late game watch on two of the most incredible games. We'll do that as we continue here on Locked on Jazz. What a night last night in the NBA. And then, of course, we will lottery as well. Thanks so much for making Locked on Jazz your first listen and a tip of that to all of my friends out there that are, are um, everydayers that tune in and make this show what it is each and every day. Today's show is brought to you by America's number one sportsbook, FanDuel. FanDuel doing it all with a... FanDuel.com slash on. We've got great opportunities for you, boy, if you were playing. I don't know, like, last night if you were playing those games where those games were so great. I'm not sure whether or not you, like, get lost in your bet or whether and how it all plays. Major League Baseball is underway right now, and a great time. Grand Slams, no hitters, double plays. Stolen bases are all back. That's because, and right now, with that deal, no sweat first bet up to $1,000 for you. Go to FanDuel.com slash on. Sign up, place your bet, and get up to $1,000 back in bonus bets if you don't win a pitcher over a number of strikeouts, Aaron Judge, a home run, whatever it might be you want to play, or NBA action you can play as well. It's all at FanDuel. So don't miss your chance to get the no-sweat first bet up to $1,000 when you join FanDuel today. Go to FanDuel.com slash on to sign up. FanDuel, official partner in Major League Baseball, the official sports book of LockedOn. It's all at FanDuel right now. What are the... I don't... What is tonight's lines? I thought I saw that Milwaukee is still favored in that series last night from somewhere. Um, uh, Tonight, the Celtics are a 13-point favorite. The Nuggets are a 9.5-point favorite. And the Suns are a 12.5-point favorite. Wow, are they projecting blowout city or what? You can do the 20-point... Uh, plus points parlay builder and bet which players are going to score 20 points or more. It's kind of fun. All right. That's all at FanDuel.com slash locked on. Today's show is also brought to you by our friends over at Ibotta. Sorry, I had to make a little pivot there. Grocery, school shopping, and getting a little something for yourself. You know you're already doing it, so why not get cash back with Ibotta? I-B-O-T-T-A, watching your closet grow after purchasing all the season's latest trends. How about watching your cash grow instead? That's right, Kids Supplies, new housing project, the list goes on. It's time to stop spending your hard-earned money without getting anything in return. You can earn cash back on every shopping trip with Ibotta, I-B-O-T-T-A. OTTA gives you cash back on hundreds of grocery items from produce to personal care to pantry goods. Either link your loyalty account or upload your receipt after you shop. The average I bought a- User earns $120 a year in real cash back. I mean, then you can go to game time and you can buy game tickets. They co- could cover the cost of any entire shopping trip later in the year. You could use the cash back. Typical basket of groceries over $50 expense at the end of 2022. It's now more, so you can earn more money back. So right now, Go it is offering listeners $5 for just trying Obata by using the code LOCKED when you register that's locked just go to the app store google play store download free ibotta app and use the code locked that's ibotta in the google play or app store use the code locked thanks so much for tuning in if you're looking for a second listen today i would strongly suggest locked on nba big board to grab hold of that listen to leaf and the guys leaf will join us uh, later in the week to kind of go through our numbers, see where he thinks it's flawed from a scouting perspective. And then I'll start reviewing players and watching next week. Late game watch. Uh, Jimmy Butler was insane. Miami, Milwaukee led 101 with 5.50 left. And within two minutes and 30 seconds, Miami led the game. Here's what was interesting. Butler gets going. He gets a fast break. He scores on Middleton. He then gets a fast break to score. Then he gets Middleton switched on him and gets a buck and a foul. Um, Then he hits an off-the-bounce three where Lopez drops deep, but he actually misses. Then he gets a dunk off the play where if you're watching the game, Giannis tries to call timeout, they don't get it. So he actually kind of gets rolling out of just stuff. Like, I mean, he he ends up with like 50-whatever, fourth-highest scoring game in the history of the NBA. So he's just getting a lot of... What was interesting to me is Middleton has five fouls. Butler's beaten Middleton twice here in this game late. And what the Bucs are trying to do is everything in the world to avoid the switch. And this is the biggest trend that's going on late game in the NBA right now, is that everyone's trying to avoid switches. What we saw in the last year was like teams would just concede to the switch. And now everyone's trying to fight the switch. And it's interesting the impact when you try to fight the switch because the impact here was you're trying to avoid getting Middleton switched on to Butler. One, because he has 5,000 and he needs to have the ball offensively. And two, because Butler scored on him twice. And you want your best defender, Drew Holiday to stay on him. But they get burned doing this. Butler drives to the left side and gets fouled by Drew. Butler comes over the top and gets a three. And Butler gets another three where Drew's late to get... Both times, because he's fighting through a pick and trying to avoid the switch, he's late to get there. And the other time, he's just late. Like, he's getting picked by Lowry and held in a pick. It's a Kyle Lowry, Jimmy Butler pick and roll, and they're trying to avoid the switch, which I get it. Everyone, you say, why do you switch so easily? But Drew Holiday, the best defender in the league, is not able to get there in time. And it's interesting. I don't know what Milwaukee should have done. I mean, my feeling is, watching it in retrospect, with 2020 hindsight, is they probably should have allowed the switch, and then over-shifted. You know, on another one, Butler, Kyrie pick, and, or Kyle Lowry pick and roll, Butler gets the edge, they have to rotate, and then he kicks out to Caleb Martin for a three. So it's really interesting to me. I don't know what the answer on that is, but trying to avoid the switch there didn't work and was why trying to avoid the switch is hard. What Sacramento's doing in the... Golden State series to me is Golden State's trying to get Sabonis switched on to Curry and then Sacramento's trying to deny it. They got burned on that with the Curry three we showed yesterday. But the other side of that is that when they do get it switched, then they just double, right? So if Golden State's successful in getting the switch and Sabonis ends up on Curry, then they just immediately double. So it's almost like you should, that's the answer, fight the switch. But if you can't fight it, then double it. But what Milwaukee was doing was trying to fight the switch and then Jimmy Butler was getting such an edge on Drew Holiday because the pick and roll works because the pick was set on Drew Holiday and he was scoring off it almost every time. The other one that was really interesting to me is that Milwaukee in the final six minutes could not find an offensive play that they liked or go to and they didn't go to any of their Drew Holiday, Giannis Antetokounmpo pick and roll with Brooke Lopez in the corner. I ran through their final six minutes of plays. And they run a Giannis Lopez pick and roll, and Lopez gets a layup. Then they try to lob to Lopez. Then they run a Middleton Lopez pick and roll, which runs into a mid-range jumper and a miss. Then they ran a three-man game in the middle of the floor for two plays in a row with Middleton, Drew Holiday, and Giannis. Then they ran a Drew Holiday, Grayson Allen pick and roll to try to get Duncan Robinson switched, and they end up going to Giannis at the, right at the nail. And He misses. Then they ran a Chris Middleton, Brooke Lopez pick and roll to get Giannis onto the wing on a slash. I mean, so there's a good variety here. Then they ran a Drew Holiday. He took a setback three. Then they ran a Chris Middleton, Brooke Lopez pick and roll for an off-the-bounce three at the top. Then they ran a Grayson Allen, Brooke Lopez, or no, Giannis Adekunbo, Brooke Lopez, that got Lopez the dunk. Same play they ran the first time. And then Giannis went one-on-one, and then Drew turned it over, and then they were in trouble. So... Milwaukee couldn't find something late which is so interesting with the amount of time they've put together and not a single Drew Holiday Giannis Agakumbo pick and roll which I guess is because the switch that Miami would have put on it they didn't want Butler's guarding Giannis then they have Butler on Drew Holiday and I'm not sure I don't know I'm a little surprised That's the play that throughout the regular season whenever they've run it with Lopez set in the corner was unguardable. It was like the best play all year. Drew Holiday's coming to the right side. You can't leave Lopez in the corner. Giannis is rolling in the middle. Milton's lifted when he played. Grayson's on the other side or whoever's Connaughton and it's unguardable and they never ran it. Miami switches a lot of stuff. They're super physical. Bam Adebayo's guarding Giannis some of the time, too. So you end up with Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo as the two defenders on that, and you decide you don't want to do it. I kind of get it. But it's interesting that Miami simply is taking Milwaukee out of the play that they ran that was the best play they could possibly run all year. All right. That's our late game watch from that. Uh, Memphis, LA, uh, I've got a ton of stuff on it, but I, uh, I'll just leave this. I thought this was some super interesting stuff. Maybe the most interesting play to me of the entire late game of that was that Jaron Jackson's causing problems. People are driving the basket and Jaron Jackson's blocking shots. So LeBron actually called Jaron Jackson up on a play and one of LeBron's biggest layups comes going right at Jaron Jackson. In other words, instead of allowing Jaron Jackson to go play free safety in the back, LeBron's so smart as a player that LeBron brings... Jaron Jackson to him and then takes Jaron Jackson one-on-one. And Jaron Jackson's not the greatest one-on-one defender. And so LeBron beats him one-on-one to the basket for one of his three field goals in the final part of the game. LeBron, the final play of the game or the regulation where he has the layup. I heard the comments from Desmond Bain afterwards that he thinks that they should have helped out. I don't agree. The guy to help out was Dylan Brooks. And I'm not one to defend Dylan Brooks if I can avoid it. But he's guarding Austin Reeves. If he comes in, it's a two-point game. LeBron kicks to Reeves for a three to win it. And I actually like a three in that circumstance better than two because you don't have to go win in overtime. Your chances of winning when you're down like two with seven seconds left to win the game, the the whole prospect is a better chance to take a three than it is to try to... Like, what do you think the chances of LeBron making that layup was? Like, if you saw the layup, it's a high archer, high off the glass. I mean, you can call it 50%. I think it was probably less than that. It was an incredible shot. But even if you call that 50%, then they have a 50-50 chance to win in overtime. That's a 25% chance to win the game. LeBron drives. Dylan Brooks cuts LeBron off. He kicks to Austin Reeves for an open right-angle three. That's way better than 25% chance. So I, I, I don't actually think that would have been the right play. I've, I've seen, heard that talked about. I, I don't think that's that's right. Memphis goes 5 of 16 down the stretch in the final 10 minutes of this game. This is a talking point that we have had all year long about Memphis, frankly. We've had it against the Lakers, too. Their half-court offense is just not good enough. You've just got to have a good half-court offense. And John Morant's great. They ran a neat thing to get Desmond Bain free off Dylan Brooks on the wing. For a three, but Memphis, as great as they are, their half court offense this year was twenty second in the NBA, and that's that's problematic. And that was evident late when they got jammed into late game stuff, and you know they go one of seven from three, five of sixteen. They turn it over four times. Jaw was somewhat out of control with his drives to the basket. They're dangerous, and he almost reminded me of Alec Burks from old Jazz days. Like they're just they're not like they're not smart. Um, two. the risk analysis is way off on that. So anyway, great late game stuff there. Got three games to watch tonight. Uh, let's do our lottery. Is today the day that we get lucky? Jazz are sitting at ninth. We'll hold at 16. We will hold at 28. Here we go. The number one pick in the NBA draft goes to the Charlotte Hornets. The number two pick in the NBA draft goes to the Detroit Pistons. The number three pick in the NBA draft goes to the Utah Jazz. Woohoo! Portland, four. Houston, five. San Antonio, six. Orlando, seven. Indiana, eight. Washington, nine. Dallas holds at 10. Chicago goes to Orlando at 11. All right, third pick of the draft in our lottery today. Victor Webanyama goes to Charlotte. Detroit does not take Scoot Henderson. They already have Jaden Ivey, and they take probably Miller. Do the Utah Jazz take Scoot Henderson in the third pick of the NBA draft? Chat amongst yourselves on YouTube or wherever else. The Jazz, our 20% chance, kicks in on a Tuesday this week. That is Locked on Jazz. Thanks so much for tuning in. Have a wonderful day.